0: Well, uh, this evening we have uh, an in-between, so we just finished up a series in Joshua, and so uh, Wednesday nights always lead. Of course, we were not here this Wednesday as we were celebrating the 4th of July, and so uh, there's a few weeks during the year that we don't have a handout, and we're in the middle of series, and so starting this Wednesday night, uh, you certainly want to be here. There's going to be a new series starting in Hebrews and so you want to be here for that. And uh, as we begin our new study, we'll spend several, several weeks in Hebrews. And so I'm really looking forward to that. So last week and this Sunday night, we have an opportunity to be in between. And I've already had a couple of comments about not having handout because we are so accustomed to having a handout. And it even felt weird not making a handout or slides or any of that. And so um, somebody said, well, now we're back to the old Fashion Baptist way and just sit and listen, right? So hopefully you'll take some notes and uh, get something from tonight. And so as we as we begin tonight, let me open us in prayer for our time together and ask God to bless the Word and our study. Uh, God, we come to you tonight, Lord. We thank you for this day and Lord, what everything means on Sunday for us, God. As New Testament believers, as we gather together. Uh, Lord corporally to worship you God to encourage each other to be encouraged and so tonight as we look to your word God we ask for uh, Lord for insight that you would speak to our hearts God I pray that you would challenge us Uh, Lord to see things the way that you see things to correct our understanding God to guide our hearts to know you Uh, God to follow you closer and uh, Lord help us to uh, just to see God what you'd have for us tonight so we pray for eyes to see We pray for ears to hear and certainly hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, uh, every once in a while, God does things, uh, well, often God does things that are amazing and wow. And uh, I was talking with uh, Pastor Tony after the service this morning, and we were talking about the message. So if you have a bulletin or you find a bulletin, you'll see that tonight's message is entitled Distractions. And, uh, And so... We were chatting after church, and I mentioned, uh, you know, we were, I said, hey, you know, this morning you talked a little bit about the northern and the southern kingdoms, which we'll get to in a second, and I said, I was thinking, you know, that's exactly what I'm going to talk about tonight, and uh, he said, oh, no, that's not even the, the brunt of what actually happened, and I said, well, what do you mean? And so he said that Thursday he had emailed the title for the bulletin to Casey, Uh, for his sermon title. And uh, Friday morning, I did the same thing. And so, long story short, uh, Casey called Tony and said, hey, um, I want you to look at this because I want to make sure it's right. So, he had emailed her the sermon title, Distractions, and I had emailed the sermon title, Distractions. And so, apparently, there is something about distractions today that God wants us to know and hear. And so, I pray that God will use what our time tonight and what we'll look at uh, to, uh, to speak to us. And uh, so, if you're here tonight, there's someone here apparently. Uh, certainly was helpful for me, but there's someone here especially that God wants to, to give you a message about tonight. So, as we look at uh, distractions, if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel. We'll be in Daniel. If you've been in D Group, you uh, are or just have passed the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is immediately after Ezekiel, and there are 48 chapters in Ezekiel. So if you start thumbing through the latter part of the Old Testament, you will find it. Uh, So we'll be in Daniel. And so as we get into Daniel, like I said, in uh, D group, this was uh, something here in the last few weeks. uh, Me and my D group have been chatting about and uh, discussing. It was just something that was uh, stirring on my heart. And so I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about this tonight. So I want to start with some questions. So, tonight, I want you to really zone in in the direction of your heart, and I want you to answer the question, what is it that God wants you to see? What is it right now in your life that God is trying to show you? Now, this morning, it was perfect with Elijah and the, uh, the story of Elijah as we began that study of how God is leading Elijah to do something and to certainly accomplish more than one thing, and so God is showing Elijah something as we saw this morning and so the question still remains for us what is it that God wants me to see what what is it in your life that God is trying to show you is there is there something that you you, you're not really getting a clear picture of but you know that God is is trying to lead you in a direction you see most people see as I was thinking about this you know a lot of times people see what is not there they imagine things in their own minds. Uh, they follow what they know or, or you know a lot of times we follow what we understand. Uh, a lot of times people conjure things up in their mind and then they create a belief system out of it. Um, you know the easiest way to understand it basically is the God that you know is the God that you serve right? The, the God that, how you understand God and how you interpret the Scriptures, that's the God that you follow. And so that's why it's so important that we have right understanding of what the Scriptures say. But a lot of times we, we make things up and uh, things that aren't there, maybe there's some, uh, you know, generated animosity or maybe there's uh, a direction of, you know, selfish desire that we pursue. And it's, it's not something that God has led us to do. It's It's something that's not there. There's something that we've made up. You see, the world sees God as they have interpreted Him. As I was thinking about this and how the world interprets who God is and specifically who Jesus is. And a lot of times, I think the world sees things about God that simply are not true. Now, I'm not a fan of political discussions, but one of the things that you've seen on the news here recently is politicians using uh, the different things that have happened with children here recently. Uh, immigration, the the Thai rescue, a couple of different things that uh, you hear politicians say, well, doesn't the Bible say, let the children come to Jesus? And it does say that, but we can't pick and choose when it says that, right? I mean, my immediate thought on that is, okay, so, Yes, that is exactly what the Bible says, and so why are we excluding abortion from that conversation? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so it's really, it's a matter of seeing things the way that they want to see, or, you know, we're guilty of the same things. We, we look at God and we interpret God the way that we either want Him to be or we, the way that we think He should be, and so we, th- we see things that simply are not there. On the other hand, we don't see what is there. The Bible is riddled with examples of this. A couple of my favorite uh, is Elisha's servant in 2 Kings chapter 6. And he didn't see the army of God that's out there, and he's all up in arms and worried about those that are there to defeat them. And Elisha says, hey, buddy, it's, it's no big deal. God's on our side. You see, what is it that God is communicating to you in your life, in your circumstances, in your walk? What is God trying to show you? Elisha said, hey, God, will you open his eyes so that he can see? How about the men on the road to Emmaus? Right after the resurrection, they're walking. Jesus comes in beside them. They have a conversation. And the Bible says that they finally recognize and realize who it was that was with them, that it was Jesus. But this entire time they spent with him, they didn't realize who was there. So, again, we don't see what is there. How many of those instances happen in our own lives? I mean, it happens all the time. I think about the speed of life today, and uh, my life is very busy, and so I think about all the things that go into that and, and the lies that we have bought as a society of the things that we've got to do and the way you know we've got to keep up and we've got to participate, all these things. And I ask myself the question, what is it in my life that I'm not seeing? What is it that God is trying to show me? You see, what is it that causes us to miss these things? You know, you you look at your life and you see see things happening. I mean, just this morning, a miraculous example of the salvation that God brings uh, to people. And, And there's so many stories, thankfully, in our church about that. I mean, I think about what Pastor Tony said this morning, that there were 60 people who were baptized during the book of John. And then I think about John 20, 31, where Jesus or John said, well, the purpose of this book is so that they may believe, which is exactly what happened. So what causes us to miss these things? When I was a little boy, uh, I grew up riding four-wheelers. It was actually three-wheelers back then, but uh, all the time. And so I would ride for hours and hours and hours in the woods all the time. And so I can remember, you know, every Sunday we would always come home from church, and we would get on the three wheeler and we would go ride, and we would ride all afternoon till it was time for church again. And Saturdays I'd spend all day in the woods, and uh, summer days. And so this one particular Sunday we were out riding, and uh, my mom was driving the four wheeler or the three wheeler, and uh, so you know a few. Three-wheeler, of course, you know, one wheel in the back, two in in the back, one in the front. And so my mom's driving, and and I'm sitting on one uh, fender side, and my sister is sitting on the other side of the fender, and we're just riding. Well, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. And so we're going, and, you know, we've got a bunch of other three-wheelers with us that we're riding with. And uh, something caught my eye, and I lost attention to hanging on. I was probably, I don't know, six or eight years old at the time. And when I did, I fell off of the three-wheeler. You know, my mom is in front of me, and so she's driving, so she has no idea that I have lost, you know, my control of riding. And so I fall off the three-wheeler, and the back tire, I fall on the ground, and the back tire runs completely over me. And so here I'm laid out in the middle of the woods, and I've got tire marks across my chest where my mom has run over me with the three-wheeler. And of course, you know, mom's you know, she panicked, and so they get me on the three-wheeler and rush me to the hospital and, you know, make this big deal about it, and thankfully, you know, it was all right. And uh, and so I, I, was, I was thinking about this distraction tonight, and I thought about that moment. My brain went back to that moment that I was distracted, and in that distraction, I fell off and ended up getting injured. And so we find ourselves in Daniel this morning, this evening. Why do I keep saying that? And, uh, and as Pastor Tony mentioned this morning, he talked about the northern and the southern kingdoms, the nation of Israel, after Solomon uh, had some dissentious times, and th- so they split. And, uh, and instead of staying focused on God and the miraculous deliverance that He had given them, they formed two teams, so to speak. So, the northern kingdom went so far as to disregard the existence of the southern kingdom. They said, you don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. And so what they ended up doing, thus, is disregarding God. And so all the while, what God was trying to do to the northern and the southern kingdoms was to show His faithfulness. We talked about this this morning in Sunday school. And, you know, God is showing His faithfulness to these two uh, northern and southern kingdoms and His patience to Israel. Yet, Israel didn't see that. So the northern kingdom was captured by Assyria, and uh, the Assyrians actually immediately began to replace the northern kingdom with Gentiles. And so as they removed the Jews, they started infiltrating Gentiles to to disseminate or displace all of the uh, Jewish remnants there. Now the southern kingdom, however, which is Judah, they continued longer. And so Assyria took over the northern kingdom, but Judah was able to stick around. And so all this will come together in a second. And so Judah was uh, actually together uh, as a kingdom for uh, almost a hundred years longer because of obedience, because of repentance. You see, there was a few godly kings that existed in Judah. Josiah probably was one of the most recent that Judah had before they were taken captive. And so when Egypt, their ally, was taken captive, then subsequently so was Judah. And so we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 1. And so the Bible says that uh, some of Josiah's kids, uh, Jehoiakim, here in uh, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes in and, and he uh, you know take, takes them all captive. And so there's some guys that we're introduced to that we'll come to know in the book of Daniel, known by, of course, Daniel, which means God has judged, or God is my judge. We have Hananiah, which means Yahweh has been gracious. We have Mishael, which means who is what God is. And uh, we have Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped. And so we've got these four guys amongst the others that are taken captive that the Bible and Daniel zooms in on a little bit and gives us some information about these guys. Now, now, these were guys that were obviously following after God. I mean, think about their names, right? It's just like uh, with Elijah this morning. It's obvious that uh, their lineage is someone that is pursuing God. And so, these are guys that grew up in Christian homes, right? They, they had parents who named them names to remind them of who God is. And they were focused on the things of God, and yet in the midst of their fellowship, in the midst of their uh, following after God, they, along with everyone else in Judah, was taken captive. Now, it's just like we were talking about this in Sunday school. I mentioned in Sunday school, we were talking about the brook uh, drying up in, uh, this morning in Kings with Elijah. He found himself beside the brook because of obedience, and yet the brook dried up, Right? And so we see that these guys are pursuing God. Daniel and his his friends are pursuing after God, and yet they find themselves in captivity. You see, it's possible. I don't know. I was just thinking through this. Is it possible maybe that they came to faith under King Josiah? Maybe. However, the residual other worship, here's Jehoiakim who's not following after God takes place around them, and it affected them to the point to where it completely changed their life. So here's their leader, their king, who's not honoring God, and because of that, their disobedience of the nation ends up in their captivity to the Babylonians. And so we see in 2 Kings 23, it says, and he did what was evil, Jehoiakim, in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And so we talked a little bit about that this morning. And so I the shrapnel of sin happened, right? The shrapnel of sin had great consequences for Daniel and his buddies. And so Daniel surrounded himself inevitably with some people who would walk with God and who would encourage him. And so that's why, again, we're introduced to these four guys here in the book of Daniel. And So in verse 4, the Bible says that these were youth that the king had brought them in. The Uh, "'Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand, which is Nebuchadnezzar,' verse 2, "'and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility.'" Verse 4, youth without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate. And so we find these guys coming into ownership, so to speak, of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so they were going to be trained, and they were going to be fed, and they were going to be Led into the king's court to become who he wanted them to be. And so Daniel and his buddies had a choice. Are we going to be who God wants us to be, or are we going to be who Nebuchadnezzar wants us to be? And so they studied agriculture and architecture, astrology, all these different things that they studied. And because these guys, all four, bore the names that honored Yahweh God, they changed their names. Now, here comes these, I just want you to think through this, and we're doing a little bit of a survey here. So, these guys come into captivity. They have names that honor God. They're indicative of Yahweh, of who they follow. And as they get into captivity, the king, as we'll see in a second, he's got some plans for them. And they've followed after God. They have names that lend to that. We see the lifestyle that they lead obviously gives us evidence of that. And yet, because of where they are, they're trying to completely change their identity. And so, for Daniel, he gives the name Belshazzar, which means, Lady, protect the king. He gives to Shadrach the new name, uh, which means, I am fearful. Meshach means, I am despised and contemptible before my God. And Abednego means, servant of Nebo, which are not Yahweh-honoring descriptions, right? Right? And so, what appears to be a very disastrous time in the life of Judah is simply God revealing Himself to them. He's bringing Judah to the point of understanding and acknowledging with no other choice that God is God. You see, God has a purpose in absolutely everything, that takes place. Great or small, anything that's going on in your life and anything that's happening in my life, God is involved in that. God is sovereign. And God had a purpose for Israel. They were entrusted with the very Word of God. They were the chosen nation. From Genesis chapter 12, God had a plan, and God's plan was to use the Jewish nation. And so, He will accomplish that plan. And so as I thought about the nation of Israel and I thought about the plan that God had for them and what seems to be a very disastrous moment in the history of Israel and Judah, I thought about me and I thought about you. You see, there's things that we're entrusted with, things that we're entrusted to accomplish while we're here on earth. And as believers, the main thing that we're entrusted with is the gospel. You know, as we few years ago started D groups. one of the things we talked about is that the gospel came to me while it was on its way to someone else and that God has entrusted us with uh the gospel that so those around us who are not familiar with the gospel those that are not uh acclimated to the gospel those that have never heard the gospel those that have never received Jesus as Lord that we're conduits that we're avenues for them to know who Jesus is And so God has created us for a purpose, and so above all things as believers, the purpose is that we dispense the gospel, that we're ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And so God solely intends upon using us to complete His mission. I mean, think about it. There is no plan B. It's the church. And we're a part of the body, and so God's plan is to dispense the gospel in all of the dark places across the globe. And so as Steve prayed for the missionaries across the globe, as we'll send missionary teams here in just a few weeks to the DR and to Brazil, I think about how that all we are is just fulfilling the mission that God has entrusted us with. And so Daniel and his friends are in the midst of this situation, entrusted with the task of representing the king of kings. And in verse 5, the king gave them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So I want to share with you tonight just a couple of things about distractions that I jotted down this week that I think are trying to steer us, maybe steer you off course to where God has intended for you to go. Number one, there are seemingly good things in life that are simply distractions. There are good things in life that are distractions. I mean, we could sit here the rest of the night and talk about how God has blessed you and God has blessed us corporately and uh, how God has used different things in your life to bring you and me where we're at. and, and, And most of those, if not all of those things, would be good things. every good gift comes from God. And so I think about all these things that God has given us, and we read this verse in verse 5. It says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. And I think to myself, well, that sounds pretty good. I mean, you're sitting at the king's table. You're a captive. You're a prisoner of this king, and yet he chooses to give you the king's meat. He chooses to give you the king's drink. And so, again, on the outside, you know what? That might not be a bad thing. Here they are in captivity, and instead of being treated like captives, they're actually being treated like royalty, at least from the means of receiving the food. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, the one who defiled the very things of God, remember in verse 2 it says that he brought the vessels of the house of God and he put them in the house of his God. The very things that Nebuchadnezzar is, that are of God, he is treating these captors to the very best that he has in his kingdom. So again, on the outset, we look at this and say, okay, well, this is, it could be a good thing. So I I got to thinking about our good things, like raises at work. Those are good things. You know, if we all showed up tomorrow at work and they said, you get a raise today, that would be a good thing, right? Wouldn't be bad promotions, new areas of responsibility. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, right? A lot of things that God blesses us with. Uh, Possessions, you know, maybe God gives you something new. Maybe God gives you something different. All these things that God gives us, but if they are things that distract us from who God is and what God is accomplishing through us, well, then they become bad things. You see, with, with Daniel and his, and his buddies, you see, they had decided that they were going to honor God no matter what. You see, what our culture has done is they've said, well, you, look, you, can, you can honor God and you can do these other things too. Our culture has convinced us that good jobs, nice things, big paychecks, that's the pinnacle of life, right? If you reach that, you know, last Sunday night, uh, Pastor Tony talked about the basketball contracts and making $19,000 an hour or something. That's the pinnacle of life, right? That's what the world says. Is it really the pinnacle of life, though? You see, those are all good things. I mentioned promotions, raises, uh, things maybe God gives you. But is it possible that they distract us from the one thing that really matters? I mean, just just think about the last thing that you got, whatever it is, whatever it is. Did it cause you to pursue God more or less? Think of the last good thing that you would categorize in your life. Is it something that you took and, and used it for the kingdom, or is it something that you took and used for yourself? How about, how about time? I, I'm a big advocate of time margin. What are we doing with our time? What does margin look like in our life? I, I am as guilty of this as anybody, but here's the question I wrote down. Is there any time in our lives to talk to our neighbors? Distractions, right? I got to get kids to ball practice. I gotta, I gotta go show up for this. I gotta be here for that. I've got lots of obligations. I mean, again, I'm this is to Matt as much as it is to anybody. Is there any time in your life to spend intentionally with your family? Oh, we're doing good things. We're busy. Our kids are involved in all these activities. I'm involved in this and this and this. But are you intentionally spending time with your family? I'm not just talking about being in the same room, but I mean redeeming it, not just being around them. Distractions. Activities are distractions. I mean, really, if, if the lights were turned out today and we stood before God and we said, all right, God, here's my Monday schedule, what would He say about that? Well, that's redemptive. That's redemptive. Why are you doing that? I mean, really, you know, look at all the things that we tie ourselves up in. And we get so busy, and then we get busier, and we think that we're accomplishing things, and, and maybe we are accomplishing things, but is it the right thing? You see, Daniel and them had decided that not eating this was a decision they made long before they showed up in Babylon. You see, eating the king's meat was uh, directly disobeying a command not to eat meat that had been uh, sacrificed to pagan gods. Not drinking strong drink would be an, a direct disobedient to what God had commanded them. You see, in verse 4 of Jeremiah 29, Thus says the Lord of the Host, which is the time that the Babylonians had taken Judah captive, Jeremiah writes this. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what he says, Build houses live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease. In other words, get to know your neighbor's. For thus says the Lord, verse 10, Jeremiah 29, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And it actually happened. God said it. It happened. Ezra, Nehemiah. So, as I was reading through this, I thought, distractions. Like, we hear what we want to hear. Don't let them deceive you into believing what, it is not true that you're going to get out next week or next year. He said have kids and, ha- and, and take wives and have your kids take wives. That takes a little time. And so he says for 70 years you're going to be there, so hang around. But what we most often hear quoted is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the, the Lord, uh, plans of a future and hope, right? We know that verse, But do we remember that it was because they're in captivity that God says that? See, we see things the way that we want to see them, and we convince ourselves that we're doing the right thing. I mean, think about this. In the midst of captivity, God is still showing Himself. He's revealing Himself. Because why? Because they are not distracted. They are focused on who God is, and they will not allow their convictions to be altered. So most of you are familiar with my story of how, after seminary, uh, God moved us back, and uh, we went through a very uh, difficult time trying to figure out where God wanted us to go and what God wanted us to do. But I knew, I knew deep within my heart, there was there was something there that God wanted me to do, and so we were very careful about what we did. Um, We didn't accept any positions or do anything. Uh, We just said, we're going to wait, just like Elijah. We're going to wait. And so, I remember um, in May of that year, I got a phone call. And so, here we are, and it is ground zero for us. It's, you know, very difficult. Again, as I've shared a couple of times, in my story, and so we're trying. We're struggling. We're trying to figure out, God, what is it that you want to do, God? What is it that you want us to do, God? Where is it that you want us to go? And I remember, you know, I shared how uh, I, I remember the song came out and it said, uh, "Jesus, please don't let this go in vain." And I remember, I remember that time was very difficult, and I remember praying that, God, I want you to redeem this. What, whatever you do, I want you to redeem it. And so I, I got a phone call, and it you know we're in the middle of a difficult situation, and this is the phone call you want. Hey, Matt, we want to offer you a job, okay well i I need a job, so you know, what are we talking? And so I was offered a job in Noonan, Georgia, and uh, which is right south of Atlanta, not too far, close enough to drive and uh it was a very high paying job, And so I remember, okay, um well. I You know, I want to talk to my wife about it, but, you know, what do I need to do? You know, what's what's the next step look like? Well, we want you to come over here, and, uh, we'll you know, we'll get everything set up, and we need you to come over and, you know, have your interview, and, and we'll get it all taken care of. So I remember, I mean, that's the call you want, right? I mean, who wouldn't, you know, high-paying job, opportunity to live in Atlanta. You know, lots of stuff is happening in Atlanta. I remember wrestling with that. And I remember struggling with that distraction because that's what it was. It was a distraction to try to get me to pursue things that God was not involved in. Now, again, you find yourself in this difficult situation, and that's the answer that you've been asking for seemingly for several months now, and it's the wrong answer. And so on Friday, and so I was supposed to go Monday, and on Friday and Saturday, and I just remember sitting on the front porch and thinking, it's, it's not right. It's, it's not right. And so on Monday, I called, and I said, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. But it's just not right. It's, it's just not right. It's a distraction. And so I look back on that with zero regret. Because I, I knew in my heart, where God wanted me to go. I didn't know the geography, but I knew the ministry. I knew God had something in store for me. And so I think about Daniel, and he's in this moment, and he's got a phone call from Noonan, Georgia, right? Hey, Daniel, we got some good food for you. We got the best there is, and we want to give this to you. It's going to help you. And the Bible says in, in verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chef, the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. He said, I'm not taking it. And so, here's this seemingly good thing. And in our lives, in every one of our lives, there are good things. I mean, you look around and it's just, it's America, right? There's just all these things around us that we, it's the land of opportunity. And there's all these things that we can get tied up and involved in. And, And again, it's not like they're bad things. And then I think about this, that if it's a distraction from who God is, then it's a terrible thing. And yet we spend time after time, after week, after month, after lifetime, And we look back and, and you you know, you go to funerals and you see lives of the people that you know and love. And and they're spinning their wheels. And Daniel said, "Mm -mm, it sounds good, but I'm not doing it. So he resolved that he wouldn't do it. Distractions may be good, but they turn out they could be actually really bad. You see, number two, distractions also come in all shapes and sizes. So we know the story with Daniel, right? Daniel and his buddies didn't do it. Turns out that they were right. Imagine that. And uh, so God uh, not only gave them favor, that he made them better than the guys who were taking the king's meat. And uh, so they were t- receiving positions of favor. And so in uh, verse 10, we see here that it says, The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, uh, my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For Why? should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? And so you would endanger my head with the king. And so I thought about all of these different ways that distractions come in different shapes and sizes. And so we can make a list a mile long. I just wrote three tonight. That fear is a distraction in our life. I have done it. You have done it. We have all done it. We've allowed fear to determine our decisions, maybe it's something that we're afraid of. Maybe we're afraid of the outcome. It's simply a distraction. It's a negative motivator. We're we're not following. We're not pursuing it because we desire it. We're not pursuing it because we're afraid of it. And so fear is, is is a motivator in our life that distracts us from what it is that God really intends for us to do. The the distraction of fear is characterized by avoiding things for God simply out of fear of the potential outcome. What if I say yes? What what would my life look like? Well, what what if I say yes? Where 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 will that lead me? You see, I I've used this verse a lot in my life. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I wanted to say my word is a cue beam unto your life. That's what I wanted to say, right? I wanted to say that, you know, my word is going to give you the next 47 steps, and then when you complete those, we'll talk about the rest. That's not what it says, though. A lamp unto my feet means I can see where I'm going next, the very next step. And just like this morning with Elijah, when Elijah takes the next step, then God says, okay, I want you to do this. So what is the enemy using in your life that you're afraid of? Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fear. The chief said, hey, buddy, listen, if you don't eat this food, that's my neck on the line. You can't can't do that. You know what will happen to you if you don't eat the king's meat? What What scare tactics are you allowing in your life? I remember... When I first came down here and, um, you know, when we ended up at Michael and uh, so uh, Tony and I had lunch one day and we were chatting and I said, you know, it's kind of like in my life that I have just came to the end of a haunted house. And, you know, at the end of haunted houses, a lot of times where they have like the fake chainsaw and then you got to run and, you know, you go to this elevator and, you know, it doesn't open, you know, all these spook houses and stuff. I said, it's, it's like I'm, I'm running. And I'm not running away from something. And I'm not running to something. I just, I just feel like I'm running right now. And, and what it was is God was drawing me. He, it was like, hey, listen, you know, all the legalism in the past that you've encountered, that's not a part of you anymore. But it was it was almost like I was in this middle area of my life. I can relate to Elijah. I can relate to Paul and his seminary in the sand, so to speak. When you're in this moment to where you're leaving that which was behind you, but you're really not sure what is in front of you, and and that's uncertain. There's there's. There's anxiety in that, for me, it was. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. There there are moments to where when we don't know what tomorrow brings and we look at it, there can be fear involved in that. But if you allow that fear to determine your direction, well, now it has become a distraction. You see, Psalms talks about fear, right? Psalms 56.3, we used to talk with our kids about this a lot. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I mean, we're going to be afraid, right? Fear, I mean, it's going to happen. I don't know what tomorrow looks like, God. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to end, God. I don't know if you, you know, if, if this is where you're calling me to go. I'll go, but I don't know what that looks like. And there can be trepidation in that. That's okay, right? I mean, none of us are superhuman. We can deal with that as long as it doesn't become a distraction. And so I think the enemy uses fear a lot to derail us, to distract us, to keep us away from something that's not really scary at all. It's actually really good for us. But the enemy uses something like a spook house, so to speak, to scare us, and he uses something that's really false. It's a mirage. It's not true. If you you just simply trust and you power through that fear and you say, God, I'm just going to depend upon you through this fear. God, I, I don't know what it looks like and I'm terrified, but as long as you're with me, I'll go. I mean, think about Daniel. How? how what did it take? What bravery did it take to say, I, "I'm not eating that"? I mean, you know, Daniel showed this multiple times in the Book of Daniel with the dream. Hey, don't kill us! I'll tell you what the dream is. And then what does he do? He goes back to his buddies and said, "Hey, they want to know about this dream. We should start praying." And then God shows him the dream, and then he comes back and reveals the dream. And so fear. Fear is a distraction. It has been for me. It certainly is, you know, could be for you. The second thing that I wrote down here, uh, the distraction comes in all shapes and sizes. Is people can be distractions. In Daniel chapter two, it says, "Because of this, the king was angry because nobody could interpret his dream." It says so he commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. In Daniel chapter 3, it says, If this be so, our God whom we serve, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, uh, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, I love this verse, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Here's Nebuchadnezzar trying to influence these guys to do something that they know is not right. And so they said, Hey, I'm not going to allow a person to distract me from what I know God called me to do. God said not to worship anything but Him. God said not to take meat that had been defiled by a sacrifice to a pagan God. I'm not doing it. And He says, Be it known to you that we will not serve your gods. He had determined in his mind and in his heart, all three of these guys were not doing it because they weren't allowing someone to be a distraction. You know, it would have been easy and some would even say acceptable for Daniel to take the king's meat in the circumstance that he found himself in, right? I mean, there would be people who would justify that. There would be people who would justify Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego changing their worship just for a few days. We we just got to make it these 70 years, guys. If we can just make it these 70 years, then we'll be okay. But they said no. I thought about how people can often say things that invoke emotions in our life. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody said something positive to you, and it, it, it invoked an emotion. It made you feel a certain way. Maybe you were encouraged, and it maybe led you in a direction. But it also happens in the negative to where so you can be having the absolute best day possible, and someone can say something negative to you or about you, and it changes everything. Right? It's a distraction. It's a distraction. How, how people say things and, and invoke these emotions or they do things that cause us to turn our focus away from God. It, in every area of my life, that's happened to me. I mean, every single area of my life. Somebody said or done something. There can be a hundred good things going on. Is this you? Maybe this is only me. There can be a hundred good things going on in your life, and there can be one negative thing happen, and all of a sudden, all you can think about is that one negative Right, you got a hundred friends who love you to death, and you got this one person, and you're like, "Man, what have I done?" You know, so you all this, you know, self-reflection. Is that just me? Does that maybe you've done that before? People, man, we jack things up, don't we? I mean, it's not just them; it's me too. I've done that to people, right? I mean, we are so we we are so caught up in the now and, and all the the things that are around us that. I mean, I just, I think back, you know, things that I've said or done in the past, and I think, man, that was so dumb. People distract us. I think, why did I let that bother me? Why did I let that, you know, redirect me? Fear, people. Again, this list could be a mile long. I thought about circumstances. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel made a request of the king after he had been given favor by king Nebuchadnezzar Daniel came in all of him and his guys looked better than all of the rest and so he was given favor Nebuchadnezzar had a dream you know the story if not you can go read in Daniel chapter 2 no one could interpret it the king wanted everyone killed Daniel comes in and says hey I can tell you what your dream is about and he stands before the king and said look only God can do this but God told me so here's what your dream is and so Nebuchadnezzar's of course and all. And so in uh, chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, he's promoted. And so Daniel makes a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. And so Daniel was given favor. You see, Daniel was given favor in his life to be over something, that he went from a captive to now he's a captive in charge, kind of like Joseph, right? Joseph was in prison, and then he was given favor. Joseph was in Egypt, and he was given favor. I think a lot of times favor can cause us to look at the blessing and focus on the blessing instead of who gave us the blessing. A distraction, the good things. Again, you know, just like I said, seemingly good things turn into bad things. In bad times, we often focus on survival. Instead of what God is doing, we find ourselves in difficult situations, difficult circumstances, and a lot of times we don't look up, we look around. And we say, you know, well, I got to get out of this, I got to figure this out. So here's a question for you If today is as good as it gets, is it good enough? If today is, if if the lights are turned out in your life, you leave here and you check out. Has it been sufficient? The things that you have, the things that you've done, the places that you've been, the lives that you've been involved in. If today is as good as it gets. I've said this a lot. Melanie can vouch for me. If today is as good as it gets, man, what a ride it's been, right? 39 in a few months has been awesome. So if tomorrow I cease to exist, it's been good. I mean, it has. I, God has done exactly what, you know, hopefully what He wanted in my life. And He's done far above what I could ever imagine. Think back 20 years ago, sitting in Jones County, God, what do you want to do with my life? And look at where God has brought me and all the places that God has taken me and all the things that God's allowed me to be involved in. If today is as good as it gets. see, in Daniel chapter 3, it says, a herald proclaimed. So, you know, all this happened. Nebuchadnezzar is given his uh, dream. And so in response to that, which makes no sense to me, he builds a giant golden image, 90 foot high. And in verse 4, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people and nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, and he goes on and on and on, that every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So distractions come in all different shapes and sizes, good things seemingly, good things actually can turn out to be bad things. And last but not least tonight, and this is ultimately what it's really all about, is that distractions don't just try to redirect the circumstance, but they're ultimately just attempts to change the object of our worship. That's all it is. It's just an attempt to change the object of your worship. This was the ultimate goal of Nebuchadnezzar, to get Yahweh worship removed. If you remember back in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Why did he do that? Because he's trying to redirect worship. You see, he tried many distractive tactics to attempt to derail Daniel and his crew. So many things happen in the book of Daniel. It has been so good in deep reading through this. Daniel and his guys are tempted with the king's meat. They don't take it. Daniel interprets the dream. Nebuchadnezzar builds a golden image. They make a decree that you must worship the golden image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire. It didn't work, right? And then we see another decree made in Daniel chapter 6, and Daniel is tossed into the lion's den, an 80- or 90-year-old man tossed into the lion's den. Many distractive tactics. So, the events that are going on in your life, what's happening right now? What's going on? Family, going good, dissension in your home? Work is great. It's not good. I want you to think about that. Someone said something that bothered you, or you just haven't felt settled lately. I wonder why that is. Are they distractions? Are you seeing things that really don't matter? are they just attempts to change your focus to redirect your attention to distract you from from what really matters i mean so if you could be known for one thing in your life what is it and are you doing that so it's the end of life your epitaph is read and they say well this is what this is what matt was about am i doing that so I rode, as I mentioned, a lot of three-wheelers growing up. So we put in some safety uh, procedures after Matt got ran over by a three-wheeler. And so I've got stitches in my arm, you know, stitches marks, and I've got bruises and all kind of three-wheeler stories to tell you. Uh, but I learned to stay a little more attentive on three-wheelers. And so as we started with a three-wheeler story, I figured we'll end with one. So there was this one time where we were riding three-wheelers, and so my dad was driving. And uh, so I had learned that you don't ride on the fender because that's dangerous and can be a distraction. And so I was right behind my father, and I had my arms wrapped around him and my head buried into his back because I wasn't falling off again. And so we're riding the three-wheeler, and we had gone. We'd been riding for a while, and we came up to this little ravine, and so, you know, a small area, and so we dipped down, came back up. Well, my sister and uh, my grandfather were on another uh, ATV behind us, and so my dad and I went down. We went through the little dip, went back up the dip, no problems. As my grandfather and my sister approached the dip, they immediately stopped the four-wheeler, the three-wheeler, and they, and they yelled, hey, hey, so get he got our attention. And so they said, you just passed a giant rattlesnake. And so there on the side of the little ditch that we had gone through was a rattlesnake that was coiled up and in striking position. And so we did what any good old country boy would do. We killed him. And we brought that rattle, we brought we cut his tail off, the rattlers, you know, that's the prize of the rattlesnake. And we brought that rattlesnake home, the rattlers, 13 rattlers and a button. We still have those rattlers today, by the way. And so I thought about as I was thinking about distractions and, you know, Matt was distracted, Matt fell off the three-wheeler. And I thought about that other story of the rattlers. And there was this distraction and it was a dangerous distraction. It was a rattlesnake that, for a young boy, could make you sick or potentially kill you. But I didn't see the rattlesnake. And the rattlesnake didn't scare me. The rattlesnake didn't bother me. Why did the rattlesnake not bother me? Because I never even saw it. And the reason I didn't see that rattlesnake is because I had my head buried into my father. And I was just focused on... Wherever my dad goes, that's where I'm going. Isn't that what we ought to say about distractions? i a father. Wherever you're going, I'm going. There may be rattlesnakes around us. There might be situations around you that you can't explain. That's okay. Paul wrote this in Philippians 3. He said, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we ought to be looking at. So I just want to encourage you tonight. I don't know what's going on in your life. It's been so good for me to look at this. But don't let distractions derail what God has for you. Take an inventory tonight. Take a pause. Ask yourself, what am I involved in? What am I doing? What has my attention? Because whatever has your attention probably has your worship. And God's plan is that you be an ambassador for the kingdom. And if we're not involved in doing that, then we're distracted.